Hello, and welcome to Leftist Reading, a podcast where I'm a leftist and I read things. We completed our reading of The Conquest of Bread, so there won't be any of that this week. Instead, I have some thoughts about the kind of back half of the book. I haven't talked really much about it in quite a while, so I have some overall stuff to just discuss broadly speaking. After I talk about it, I will have a reading, uh, it's basically a short excerpt of an excerpt by Lorenzo Camboa Irvin about why he is an anarchist, but the bulk of the episode is just going to be me discussing my thoughts. The bulk of the episode is just going to be my thoughts about the conquest of bread. It's just a short capper on the end because even though I recorded 30 minutes of my thoughts, I cut down a lot and so the episode is quite short without it. But with that out of the way, let's get into my thoughts on the conquest of bread. So, we have now finished the conquest of bread. And I had some thoughts as we've been going. I've definitely been thinking more. Both what I've gotten out of this book and some of the kind of limitations of it and what it doesn't talk about. Fundamentally, this book has solved the main question I had, which is what is the actual principle of anarchy addressing? And this book just by its very nature, by literally just what the individual chapters are, tells you straight up, anarchy is concerned with people and what their needs are, and just getting those needs resolved. And like, as a secondary point, basically, a formal society structure, as far as anarchy is concerned, almost inherently interrupts the ability to just feed people. If you have a government, if you have a ruling class, or if you have a professional class, or just someone who gets to, by definition, make the decisions, then they are inevitably going to be wielding too much power. They will, by definition, not understand the work being done to provide food, shelter, clothes, etc. And they will, by definition, just have different interests, have different needs, and not understand the real needs of everyone else. As fundamental principles, these are very valid, and these are really useful frameworks to think about society structures, because unlike kind of the popular media conception of, say, what anarchy is, it's not a rejection of any style of rules or regulations or just a complete refusal to accept responsibilities. It's about not formalizing these things in a structure where it inevitably leads to certain people are in charge of other people. And that just feels like a very valid and compelling argument that complicates the idea of communism where you're still expecting a central body to be regulating and dealing with wide-scale problems. I'm not sure if the book has fully convinced me that it is a workable solution to just have no overall structure. It certainly added to my framework of understanding how to structure solutions to problems we have in the world. And one thing that was very useful too for understanding even non-anarchical communism is the clear examination of how people have needs that are not the most baseline of people need bread, Like, people need bread, people need fruit, people need clothes, people do need luxuries to an extent. People need to be able to have hobbies or, like, creative or intellectual pursuits. 
it's very easy for people to see leftist ideologies as being self-sacrificing and that you are giving up what you have for a greater good. But the vast majority of people would gain from these kind of societal changes. And the conquest of bread puts in a lot of work to examining the things that we should ensure we're gaining for people. We don't want to make a society where there is no private property, but still the vast majority of people are effectively forced to do the same job day in, day out, just because it is necessary. The book in particular goes into a lot of very definite detail about how much time these things take and how, if we just wanted to fulfill needs, and in the kind of broad sense, not the narrow sense of the baseline amount of food, if we just wanted to feed people and weren't trying to feed rich people, we could do all of this very easily. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't think about when talking about leftist ideology. Everyone thinks they would have to give up a lot. Only the people who are especially privileged would have to give up a lot. Most people would gain so much. But... Then there's other aspects to the book. This book is about a century old, so I do think it's a bit of a gimme that it lacks the modern perspective on both gender and ableism. There's brief asides about supporting both, but they really don't do the whole package of actually addressing them as issues, especially not the way we would understand both of them today. In both cases, I do think it's not hard to reconcile these things. There are brief passages that talk about domestic labor and basically retain the assumption that it will just be women doing it, but it will just get easier. But the book itself has a framework for fixing that problem. Because if you stop deciding that domestic work is all women's work and then have roughly half the population ignore it, if you just say all people will do domestic work, then it will have the same benefits that Kropotkin talks about with other kinds of work. Because when everyone's doing it, people are going to say, hey, we should make this easier. And we obviously have a ton of advances in that way. Not everyone can afford them right now. But again, that's solved by the idea of an anarchical society. Everyone will have a dishwasher if we just have a communal dishwasher, etc. This book has a strange relationship to disability in that it has a constant commitment to the idea that everyone should work equal hours and that people shouldn't be allowed to opt out of manual labor. And from my perspective, that seems to just come from the idea that you don't want people to be able to abstain to desk jobs where they will effectively become managers and then enact basically a class system. But the book really doesn't go into any time of understanding that some people cannot do farm work, some people cannot do manual labor, or cannot do the same amount of manual labor as other people. It's very permissive of people taking on the jobs that they would like to do, but it doesn't actually go into properly supporting that. It doesn't spend some time really digging into how you need to accept some people might have certain limitations, people might not necessarily be able to do consistent work in certain ways. I can't speak too much to this, because I don't really know about this either. I just know that I don't know, but it is an important question to figure out. But again, I don't think this is that difficult a problem to solve. 
because the framework of the book in general is about allowing people to take jobs that suit them, to take different jobs, to not be forced into specific jobs and to support them as best we can with advances and allowing people to pick and choose. I just think if you were to update this book, you might have a section where you actually go into the explicit detail of that. The same way Kropotkin spends the longest chapter of the book talking in very specific detail about agriculture. Another blind spot in the conquest of bread as a whole is that it doesn't really talk about colonialism and how, in many cases, people who would rise up to take back their city maybe don't even have an initial right to the land in the first place, or may have a city that is built on materials and goods and labor stolen from other places. I am still ill-educated on that to really go in deep about it, but it's definitely something that is not addressed here. I'm sure other people have much more well-reasoned responses in this vein. One of the bits of the book I'm most stuck on is that it's very easy to read this book and come away with a worryingly libertarian mindset. I guess I am talking about libertarians specifically in the sense of the modern American interpretation of libertarianism, where it's a very capitalistic libertarianism. And obviously the conquest of bread does talk about being a communist style of anarchy and not one where people can still be capitalists and own things. But the book extends a lot of cynicism towards states, which is valid, but it gives a lot of leeway to companies. It has some bafflingly generous takes on the ideas that companies couldn't poison people because then they'd get a bad reputation. Uh, that one just sticks out to me because it's so blatantly untrue, and maybe we're just poisoned by the capitalist society we live in. Maybe if we were all being raised in an anarchical society, that would have a meaningful impact and we would actually react to that. We just have lots of cases where companies are poisoning us, whether it's direct physical poison or maybe just destroying our planet or something else. And people just still continue dealing with them. And maybe it's the impersonal layer, but it's hard to see that happening and not think it would still be an issue if we had reformed into a more anarchical communist society. This book, when written, did not have to uh, deal with the scale of multinational companies we have today, and I really think that changes the calculus on who you're concerned about having power and control over the world. People misusing an ideology obviously doesn't actually poison the well, it doesn't corrupt the principles of anarchy, it mostly means you should maybe interrogate a little bit if someone's espousing anarchical principles, if the end result is potentially someone saying, why do governments keep interfering with the oil companies? But it is relevant to a certain optimism that's in the book, where it fundamentally believes that people will work together. If we band together and basically overthrow the capitalist ruling class, and then establish an anarchical state, it sort of insists that things will then be fine. And the thing is, we've obviously once created society with class disparity, with all of the problems we have. It's hard for me to look at that and then think, but I'm sure if we started over, everything would be fine. 
and we wouldn't devolve into the same problems as before. I don't know if the book is strictly trying to say that, but the book sure never addresses that as a potential problem or criticism, and it definitely makes a few assertions that things would be fine. For one example, it just says, oh, well, a bunch of different independent grail companies in Europe agreed without government oversight to just cooperate on this concept. Why couldn't people just cooperate in a similar way? And that is a true concept that people can cooperate for mutual benefit. But to me, that feels very telling about a lack of cynicism about companies. And companies are a thing that can still exist in an anarchical society. A group of people could band together and say, we're all interested in making railways. We will make railways. And then those people might say, we only want certain people to be on our railways. For instance, a group of people might be racist or sexist and decide that only the people they like can be on that railway. And then what do you do? I think it would be naive to try and make some sort of claim that a government oversight could stop this, as if a government oversight could be entirely free of these problems. But it does ring hollow to me to try to claim that not having the oversight means that everyone would be good-hearted and free of the myriad of prejudices a lot of us have to deal with. This is true for me, and I imagine plenty of you, as leftists, have the same problem. I don't particularly want to have bad biases and prejudices affecting my behavior and affecting the people around me, especially as a person with multiple privileges. It's still going to happen. It's not a thing I turn off. It's not a thing that's only happening because of capitalist pressures, at least in our current society. Even those among us who are leftists, who want to fight against biased impulses we have, aren't free of making mistakes. We all have to grapple with racism, sexism, and other prejudices. Just because we're aware their problems doesn't mean they're gone. So if you even think of people who are maybe not as aware of these problems, or aren't thinking about their behavior in the same kind of way, I find it impossible to imagine that this just goes away. Again, capitalist society exacerbates a lot of these problems. I have doubts that it's the source of these problems. That's getting into way broader discussions that I am completely unqualified for. Suffice it to say, I'm skeptical of this book's vision of breaking things down to individuals and then everyone being totally fair to each other without any problems. It is funny to me that the chapter called Objections, Dealing with Objections to Anarchy, doesn't address this, and I think it's because it's a perspective that was just lacking when this book was written, or at the very least the author was lacking this perspective. I'm sure people were still writing about it, but it's so present in the modern perspective that I couldn't help but bring it to this book. That broadly covers my thoughts about the book that have kind of been bandying about in my head. I am going to try and read some short pieces that are more recent and deal with some of the aspects I've been discussing today. I am not yet sure if any of them will be episodes, or if so, how many. I am basically going to just sample a bunch of readings, and then there may or may not be some episodes about it. And that's it for our discussion this week. As I said at the start, I have a short reading to read for you now. An excerpt of an excerpt. Lorenzo Camboa Irvin has an essay on why I am an anarchist, 
and I'm skipping the first few sections, which give some autobiographical context. I'm linking the whole thing in the show notes if you want to read those, because those inform this last passage. But I'm basically reading the passage called What I Believe, where he summarizes his ideology. Lorenzo Camboa Irvin. Why I am an anarchist. What I believe. All anarchists do not believe in the same things. There are differences, and the field is broad enough that those differences can coexist and be respected. So I don't know what others believe. I just know what I believe in. And I will spell it out simply, but thoroughly. I believe in black liberation, so I am a black revolutionary. I believe that black people are oppressed, both as workers and a distinct nationality, and will only be freed by a black revolution, which is an intrinsic part of a social revolution. I believe that blacks and other oppressed nationalities must have their own agenda, distinct worldview, and organizations of struggle, even though they may decide to work with white workers. I believe in the destruction of the world capitalist system, so I am an anti-imperialist. As long as capitalism is alive on the planet, there will be exploitation, oppression, and nation-states. Capitalism is responsible for the major world wars, numerous brush wars, and millions of people starving for the profit motive of the rich countries in the West. I believe in racial justice, so I am an anti-racist. The capitalist system was and is maintained by enslavement and colonial oppression of the African people, and before there will be a social revolution, white supremacy must be defeated. I also believe that Africans in America are colonized and exist as an internal colony of the U.S., white mother country. I believe that white workers must give up their privileged status, their white identity, and must support racially oppressed workers in their fights for equality and national liberation. Freedom cannot be fought by enslaving and exploiting others. I believe in social justice and economic equality, so I am a libertarian socialist. I believe that society, and all parties responsible for its production, should share the economic products of labor. I do not believe in capitalism or the state, and believe they both should be overthrown and abolished. I accept the economic critique of Marxism, but not its model for political organizing. I accept the anti-authoritarian critique of anarchism, but not its rejection of the class struggle. I believe in workers' control of society and industry, so I am an anarcho-syndicalist. Anarchist syndicalism is revolutionary labor unionism, where direct action tactics are used to fight capitalism and take over industry. I believe that the factory committees, workers' councils, and other labor organizations should be the workplaces and should take control from the capitalists after a direct action campaign of sabotage, strikes, sit-downs, factory occupations, and other actions. I do not believe in government. And so I am an anarchist. I believe that government is one of the worst forms of modern oppression, is the source of war and economic oppression, and must be overthrown. Anarchism means that we will have more democracy, social equality, and economic prosperity. I oppose all forms of oppression found in modern society. Patriarchy, white supremacy, capitalism, state communism, religious dictates, gay discrimination, etc. And that's it. That's our short reading for this week. 
If you have any questions, comments, corrections, critiques, call-outs, if you just want to tell me I'm wrong or I have terrible opinions, you're probably right, and you can email leftistreading at gmail.com or get the show on Twitter at leftistreading. This show is hosted on the Abnormal Mapping Network. You can go to abnormalmapping.com to find all sorts of other podcasts available there. Our intro and outro music is Decisions by Eric Medias. You can find it and more of his work on soundimage.org. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening and keep reading.